you're listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. So you went hunting this morning? I went after school, so it was like 10 o'clock I went out, yeah. Yeah. And didn't... Actually, well, it was funny. Did a, I went from the truck, did a whole loop, didn't see anything. And uh, and then like I knew Curtis was like wanted to like shoot photos. So did you like, get out of town? Yeah, I did go out of town. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, not not just around the block. Yeah. I went. There's all these docks down by the mall. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is. I keep thinking about them. <laughs> like, oh, we can we can just sit in the truck, right, and drive by and wait till they fly. So you just drove a yeah. loop road. Well, no, I I went out uh, I went outside of town up by uh, uh, you know like where the Fort Steele Farms are. Oh, now everybody's going to go yeah. there. Oh, it's private land. Yeah, and uh, way, way further here. than that. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I got out of the truck. I did, I did a big hike. Well, not a big hike. It was I was hiking for mm. two hours and uh, with Peter. And uh, it was where I seen some bulls last night. I kind of went out after school just because uh, I seen some elk there last week. And I was like, oh, let's go just look at it. So I didn't see anything. And then I... So, me and Pierre split up and I was like, I'll meet you at the truck. So I got in the truck, sat in the truck and not two minutes later, I'm waiting for Peter and I hadn't seen anything all morning. And of course, once I get in the truck, two white tail bucks just come out strolling right in front of the truck, right where I was just was. And I just thought it was so funny how I do like how I'm in the bush for two hours. Didn't even see a turkey or anything. And I get to the truck and I get in the truck and then deer come out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was kind of funny. But there you go. Yeah, there you go. I was like, of course. We of course. we were going out to that general area of North America once hunting, and <laughs> it was opening morning, and we were trying to get to camp. Grandpa and Uncle David and stuff were all out there, and we we're like, it's just oh, kind of yeah, getting daybreak. Yeah, yeah. And there's these two nice whitetail bucks standing <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the road. I stopped the truck, and we're looking at them, and it's like they're just looking at us, and they're not. I'm like, well, well, of, course, of course, you park the truck and you shut it off, and the first thing that happens is the interior lights come on. So it's like then they're staring right at you with the whole inside of the truck's lit up, and it's like, oh man. But it was kind of like, yeah, do we try to? let Curtis get one of these deer or do we like get to camp so we can decide what the plan is to go elk hunting so. <laughs> <laughs> that was like when we went turkey hunting that one day in the spring and we were at my house because uh, I was like my mom's like oh there's turkeys back out there so we go out there we set up and we heard like one gobble but that was like it so it was maybe maybe it was maybe. a very distant gobble and then we're like okay let's let's just go to this other spot uh so we're driving down the road and we come across a flock of turkeys in the middle of the road. Yeah. Private land on both sides. <laughs> we're just like, Chris is like, do, do you know one of your neighbors? Like, can you talk to them? And I was like, well, I know them enough that they'll probably say no. Yeah. yeah. It's like, we better yeah. just keep going. Just, How were your family's places where you grew up there? That's just, yeah. there's like so many turkeys, but there is like no. There is a crazy amount of turkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. There was the same, same situation. There's a bunch of turkeys in the middle of the road, and I drove, like, just through them. And then in the ditch, there was a cr- cougar crouched in the ditch, watching them, like, 40 yards away from them. I, oh, like, I thought that was pretty cool. But that oh. was, like, just not even far, like, a minute away from our house. I was wow. Like, that is cool. But, wow. yeah, tons of turkeys around there. <laughs> tons. Well, yeah. keep at it. You've that got was, some property. They, they happen. Like every time I'm like, I'll be out wrenching or working on my truck. And then that's when a Tom will walk <laughs> like behind there. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, tomorrow I'm coming out here turkey hunting. 
course, yeah. it's never there. Yeah, no, it's Nothing never there. Never. Nothing Nothing there. there. That, was, that, was, that was the morning, too, that we went up behind your folks' place, and we got everything set up, and we start calling, and we're, like, sitting there, and it's quiet, 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 waiting for the sun to come up. <laughs> sun finally comes up, and it was like... And these two mallards come in, and they land, like, right beside our decoys. And we're kind of like, what the heck? Like, these, these ducks come in and land yeah. beside the turkey thing, and then Bryce leans over. He's like... Maybe when we're duck hunting next year, we should bring some turkey decoys because it seems the ducks are drawn to those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was like, you know, we're in the middle of my parents' back 50 acres, and yes, yeah, ducks are landing at, our, at the turkey <laughs> decoys. Turkeys. Yeah. That was, uh, that was the weirdest thing. Uh, maybe, you should, maybe you should start your own TV show. Yeah. You know how doing it? Did you go out hunting this morning? No, no, actually, I uh, have been so job. busy with work. Yeah, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't even been out once. Tomorrow, tomorrow's the day. Oh, Derek has yeah. something that's called a job. Yeah, yeah, I gotta actually work. Unlike, uh, unlike some people, I'm not mentioning any names. <laughs> wow, that sucks. But uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm planning on going out tomorrow for uh, just go scope it out. Maybe go for oh, yeah. some whitetail or something. Oh, cool. So, yeah, good, good for you. Good for you. Um. Yeah, welcome everybody. Uh, this is Mark Hall, host of the podcast. And I'm Curtis Hall, co-host and tech man extraordinaire. Oh, extraordinaire now. <laughs> Episode 7, we're up to extraordinaire technical person. So uh, we're in uh, Cranbrook, British Columbia today, and uh, we have a couple of young hunters with us. Uh, Bryce McKinnon, Derek Johnson, how are you guys doing? Good. Good, good. good. So, um, yeah, this is an episode on new hunters. How long have you been hunting for? This is my fourth hunting season. Fourth hunting season? Yeah. New? This is my third, but one of them I was kind of... Uh, Working? No, I was in Chilliwack and it was... Oh, uh, right. I, I I didn't know anyone. Sorry, I'm a beginner hunter, right? So I didn't know anyone out there um, that was a hunter so i i mean i went out in the bush a couple of times but that was that was about it just basically sightseeing with a with mm. a gun on my back right um sneak through the fields and there was all these like domestic pigs <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh farmland around there no no we actually went out to uh, uh princeton um oh, yeah that area but uh it's pretty pretty dense or private property mm. but so four years, three years. Yeah. Yep. Three years. Now, um, neither of you grew up in like big hunting families, right? No. 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 Dad no. took me out hunting once. Yeah. Once. A lot of fishing though. Yeah. He liked fishing. He, your dad was a big fisherman. Yeah. That yeah. was his thing. The Kootenai yeah. Lake and the big boat. Yeah. 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 That's what he loved. Yeah. 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 So that's what we did mostly. But yeah, once. I have an, I had an uncle took me out once too. That okay. Was, that's it. When you were young? When I was young. Yeah. That's yeah, it was the same. I got a an uncle that kind of hunts, kind of doesn't, depending, maybe you go 10 years without going out in the bush. But then, <laughs> but then, <laughs> then you'll pick it up for a couple seasons and then, and then same thing, he drops it. Um, but yeah, so that was the, the closest I had to a hunting experience was... Uh, we we're driving by a provincial park one, one day. I don't know where we were going on a road trip somewhere. Um, I was like five or six and I, I don't know where I got the want to hunt, like the desire, but, uh, ever since I was a young kid, I wanted to hunt and that's all I did was bug my parents to go hunting. Of course they didn't hunt. So I was, uh, we were driving probably a hockey tournament somewhere and I'm like, I want to go hunting. I had this little wooden gun that I'd got at the, uh, some fair farmer's market, something like that. And, uh, 
my dad pulls in the provincial park and we kind of go walking around the in the woods there and he grabs a stick and tosses it and hits a tree or a rock or something oh what was that what was that and i'd I'd be all running after it kind of thing with my toy gun and that was that was probably the closest I had to hunting until I was uh till I was probably 18 so huh but always always wanted to do it um and I'm super thankful I got into it now so that's interesting wow what um Bryce what got you into it well it was a specific occasion I went out with Curtis it was after high school so I can't really remember it was like the hunting season after we probably graduated. Anyways, we were out with, it was me, him, and Curtis. Uh, sorry, sorry, Rory. Rory Prosser. Yeah, another buddy of ours. Yeah, and uh, we uh, went just behind uh, my grandma's place, and Curtis was like, hey, like, we'll go into this spot, and uh, I've seen deer here before, and we'll just check it out. It was like, um, it was right before sundown. So we go down in there, and sure enough, there's deer down there. And like, I just remember, I just got so excited. Like, like crazy excited and uh anyways we were watching these deer and this buck was chasing around these does i remember just watching and i was like that's awesome like this is just i love the rush then i just after that i was like okay i'm getting my hunting license oh cool but yeah. i remember growing up like right yeah, from you the always time, me. right from the time i started hunting because i got my my course course at 10 years old and that was like a goal i was like at 10 when I can get it I'm getting it and from 10 until that moment I was like Bryce you gonna get your hunting license this yeah. year get your get your core get your core get your core we can go hunting we can go hunting and you're like oh I'm gonna do it this year oh I'm gonna do it this year and it was like every year yeah <laughs> like, yeah it was a while about 10 years Just, yeah. and then that one year it was like you go we got back to the truck and you were like I'm getting my core now and yeah I was like, oh I hope you do but it was <laughs> I don't know why I just got yeah it was exciting I was like Man, that was cool. So, cool. Yeah, that was that was the moment of like transition <laughs> or the change. See, all those years growing up, you could have been out hunting with us on I the know. weekends rather yeah. than doing chores at home. I know. Yeah, grease my dad's logging truck. <laughs> <laughs> firewood or firewood. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, oh, you don't want to get into hunting, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, you got to be here. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, that was probably it, eh? That's yeah. funny. But yeah, I missed yeah. out. I missed out. <laughs> oh, well, you got lots lots yeah. of years ahead of you. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's kind of let's kind of look at your uh journey into hunting cuz there's like some steps that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you take the um hunter training course, you know, getting your license, getting your firearm license and stuff and maybe just um each one of you just kind of walk through that experience. Um, like what it was like cuz you know, like I said, you're you're trying to figure this out on your own. Was it, was it easy? Was it, um, hard? What, um, what worked for you? What didn't work? Yeah. Uh, I remember the, the core, like uh, living out in the woods and stuff. It's like, you kind of, you know how to tell a mule deer from a white tail and stuff. So like the core was fun. I didn't find it too challenging, but, um, the real challenge challenge comes like when you're out there, by yourself because I find I do a lot of hunting by myself because you know be doing shift work and stuff no one's ever on the same schedule as you or okay. whatever so uh, well once you get out there you're like oh I'm just going to walk around and then like all you do see especially like you're out in the woods you just see white tails flying whichever direction because you're just spooking everything and it's like man what am I doing wrong here you know like I, can't, I don't see anything everything's running away from me you know like you just like kind of just figure it out but uh 
there's that chapter in yeah. the hunter training manual that would have covered all of that. Oh yeah. Maybe. Oh, maybe I should have read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, huh. but, uh, this year specifically, uh, I was out like in the archery season, I got a bow and, uh, and like I, I had a, I was cow calling, right? Wasn't sure if I was doing it right. Sitting up in a tree stand and sure enough, a spike bull comes in, right? And, uh, he never gets closer than 40 yards, but the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, if I shoot this thing, I'm by myself. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I like, I was like, well, I'm definitely going to call somebody, but I was like, like, I've never ever, like I've killed whitetails always with a friend there. Right. Yeah. He was like, I, I feel pretty confident I could gut something myself, but I was like, I'm gonna have to quarter this thing. I was like, I've never done that before. I'll have to like, you know, like skin it while it's on the ground. Like, to quarter it up good like so I, I was like that was going through my mind the whole time so in a way i'm almost thankful it didn't get any closer <laughs> but because i'm sure i would have like i would have tried i would like you know yeah because i was just it was way too exciting but yeah that's what was going through my mind the whole time so huh. yeah so do you think do you think the hunter training course you said it wasn't really challenging did it do you think there should have been more in it like for someone like yourself because because they when I took it when I was little, it was like, mm-hmm. it was very comprehensive. Like oh, it yeah. had, it's sort of like, it was like hunting for dummies. It was like covered everything. Mm-hmm. And then there was a big revamp to the program, at least here in British Columbia, um, where they were trying to get more people into hunting. Mm-hmm. They, um, condensed the course, um, covered fewer chapters. The material was still all there in the book, but mm-hmm. it was based on the premise that, as a youngster, you would get it and then your dads and your uncles and stuff would take you out and kind of like mentor you into the rest of the stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm kind of curious about, uh, you know, sort of about, mm-hmm. about your experience there. What about yours, Derek? How was the... Um, it was good. The, I mean, it was it was knowledgeable for me because I, I wasn't familiar with any of that kind of um, knowledge from my, my parents or anyone. Um, it definitely like like you were saying it's it's lacking some stuff now like strategy there's no hunting strategy like how you would even attempt to to hunt like stay up wind of um of your game call it in and or whatever there's nothing of that kind of thing there's just basically know your species know your definitions know your that kind of stuff which isn't necessarily helpful when you're in the in the field so I don't know, maybe the course would be better if it had a hands-on aspect to it or or even just different information. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and that's like, that's kind of how I got into to it was uh, as soon as I got my driver's license, I kind of freed my myself up to go places. Um, and that's, uh, that's when I took my course um, for my core and the pal the firearms license yep. yeah yeah um no what about what about buying a uh you bought your first your first firearm yourself yeah yeah, yeah i did i actually uh used the modern technology of the day and bought it online oh, wow. um, off cabela's and, and got it got it shipped to me huh. um what, what was that process like was it I was did actually, you research it pretty easy you just yeah, pick the first no, one cheapest one no i i definitely did quite a bit of research on um on caliber and and model i wanted like 
for for a beginner, I don't want to be going and buying thirty different rifles for every different occasion. So I I was looking at the uh, best all around. Um, There's a bunch of people listening, just gasp. <gasps> yeah, they're just waiting, they're just waiting to hear what I have to say. But it's like they're like, no, you need thirty. <laughs> yeah. Nope, honey, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just a new hunter. I need this many guns. <laughs> now that yeah, no, now that I've been in, in hunting for probably two or three years now, now I know you need more guns. Twenty nine more. <laughs> Twenty nine more for sure. Um, but yeah, I narrowed it down to the uh, two seventy Winchester. Um, and then went with the uh, the Vanguard the, um, Vanguard Series Two yep. through Weatherby, um, but yeah, no, it was um, it was definitely it's a hard thing to when you don't have parents that hunt. It's hard to get into the field until you, I think, have a car, have a vehicle, have something you can actually get out there on your own. Gotcha. And do it. Yeah, unless you're living on a big acreage yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's tough for sure. I mean, there are there are ways. Obviously, friends and uh, and other people. There's there's lots of people that I'm, I guarantee you ask you ask any experienced hunter. Hey, I've I've always wanted to hunt. Could you take me out there? They're not just gonna turn you down. They'll they either take you out or, or give you some tips or or figure something out for you. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so what's what's your um, experience been like then just sort of like trying to figure it out on your own? Like actually out there going, oh, I'm going hunting today. Um, or, actually, we got a we got a moose draw last year and it was we kind of built our group for the limited entry hunt. Um, there was two of us beginners and two um, experienced hunters. So when we actually went out and and we're we're hunting we kind of paired up one with the beginner one one like one a beginner yep, and one idea. experience just so we kind of showed each other the, the the ropes kind of thing and then they switched um partners every once okay. in a while that's a good and, strategy uh, it was uh we we actually didn't we didn't get anything we were we were out there every every chance we could um came across quite a few cows um but didn't see one bull um, we were tracking one. It, it was there was pretty pretty big uh, prints, so we we figured it was a a male, but uh, we uh, we didn't get eyes on it. Um, but even even that, like we were out there, it was it was cold weather, rainy, snowy, every kind of weather that they could throw at us, and it was so fun. Like we would come back to camp and we would. We'd cook up meals and and uh, pull out the uh, the rye bottles and, and that kind of stuff, and we would we just have a great time. So I mean, even if it even if it some people would call it an unsuccessful hunt, it was super successful for us. Like it was it was just a fun experience. Yeah, right on. Yeah, right on. Huh? And you've been just figuring it out as you go on your own. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much one hundred percent. Well, I got another buddy I actually hunt with besides Curtis, but same. He's like, we're like, I only ever get two days off with him, so, and he he doesn't really like to walk very much. So if I go hunt with him, he's like, oh, I got this road I want to go up. <laughs> so, and I'm like, and we never see anything, of course. So I was like, I always try to, oh, let's let's go hike over here, get off the road, man. <laughs> yeah. There's three guys in front of us, but uh, yeah, uh, um, I actually had a moose draw my second year of hunting, and um. 
I was it was me and my brother. We got it, and yeah, we were totally in way over our heads, right? Like I was like, we got it, and we're like, we were super gung ho, right? Oh yeah, we're let's go find a moose. So then we like driving up these roads, and it was just like weeks didn't see a single moose and i was like what the heck man like where are these moose like we're like we sitting there in the woods like it's google it's google where moose like to hang out you know <laughs> we're sitting there google and i'm like oh they like like uh, like kind of low marshy areas i'm like well like well this says it's in the rut I'm like oh well this isn't the rut what time is the rut like google that you know <laughs> like just like learning everything on the fly in in like the woods like Google and stuff, and then actually, it, we came across a, a small bull, and he was like probably like 200 yards away, and there was a cow with him. And I remember I got down and I was like ready to like shoot him, and I remember just thinking it was kind of like the same situation as elk. I was like, man, it's just me and my brother. I've never been this close to a moose before <laughs> what do i do what are we gonna do we're way back here if we if i shoot this thing but they end up this cow was like way too close to him the whole time and they just ended up leaving but uh yeah yeah kind of forget where i was going with that but <laughs> just like learning on the fly yeah learning on the everything fly. yeah the moment is how i've been learning this whole time google is helpful. I mean, <laughs> that's i mean i think you know, ultimately everybody kind of learns on the fly. Like even if you grow up in hunting families and stuff, you do get, um, you know, some strategy and some tactics and help and you learn, you know, learn things and stuff. But I think that, that you, you still end up building your own strategies and your own sort of figuring out how animals and everything works out there on your own and it tends you know ends up being a lifetime of like trial and error yeah that's very much what hunting is is trial and error that's true enough i guess i actually the first uh, whitetail i ever shot it was i woke up in the morning woke up late wasn't even planning on going hunting and my dad was like who like isn't a hunter he's like god like just go just go back there and he's like rattle some antlers together he's like He's like, there's a buck back there. I know it. He's like, he'll come out. And so I was like, I was like, oh, I've kind of rolled my eyes. Like, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm not going to find a deer. I've been looking for days. <laughs> right. And then finally, I'm like, okay. So I put on like jeans and a black jacket and I just walk up into the woods. Right. And I got these two antlers together. I sit down in the snow. I'm rattling these things. I'm sitting there kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, this is stupid. You know, and I'm raking the ground trying to make noise. Right. And then I'm like, I'm like sitting there for like an hour and I'm like, I'm about ready to pack it in. And all of a sudden, this white tail just walks out. He's within 10 yards, this buck. Just walks out of the trees and just looks at me. And I'm like, holy crap. It actually worked. <laughs> right? So I raised my gun. Boom. <laughs> Took him down. And I was like, wow. And then you're going, now what do I do? Now I do. I'm way back here from the house. I'm all by myself. Well, what I went to, I went down and got the, I got the bobcat. <laughs> drove it up there. And I put this thing in the bucket and I drove it down to the house. <laughs> and then I remember yeah. I got, I got the call because oh, yeah. you phoned you me. Helped me you helped me like, You were like, dude, I just got my first deer. I'm so excited. Can you come show me how to skin the thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And we skinned it and we butchered it and we made yeah. like a whole night out of it. But I walk up and the thing's like hanging from the bucket of this kid's deer. Like, yeah, still, I started off that way too. Yeah. Wild West hunting, hey? Yeah, there's uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's probably been uh, more than one phone call made in North America. Hi, I just got my first whatever. Yeah. Now what do I do? You need yeah. to come and help me. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I'm like, got it up near. I'm like, 
I gotta call Curtis. <laughs> I've never skinned anything in my life. <laughs> you know? so that's a that's a pretty big thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the you know, there's the hunter safety stuff, the firearm safety stuff, like you said, the the training and stuff really doesn't tell you what to do, like how no. to hunt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just how not to kill yourself when you're out there is kind of a big part of what, what it's about and make sure you're uh you know, you know, your different species and whatnot, but then the, the whole thing of like, um, yeah, processing mm-hmm. an animal on the ground, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a pretty big thing. There's a, a f- friend of mine down on the coast of BC has um, a company called Eat Wild BC. Um, and, um, he's on social media and, and stuff. And, uh, it, he, he teaches the hunter training course and he just has this amazing way of mentoring, like sort of first generation hunters in, and he does all types of, um, of these ancillary workshops to the core course, which is what you're talking about. Like these mock hunting trips, like getting up, where do you go? How do you glass? How do you check the wind? Like, how do you backpack? How do you, you know, um, backpack hunt in the mountains. And he does a, a workshop where he has a friend that owns a butcher shop down in Vancouver. And, um, they book the facility like for an evening and all these new hunters, um, join the workshop. Um, your course fee pays for a pig and you come in and this professional butcher is like, teaches you like now how to process, process that, process that thing and break it down. You know, all your cuts and you know, your front shoulder and your loins and your back straps and like all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, how to wrap it, you know, the, like the whole thing. And then you walk out of the course with a pig, you know, the pig meat you put in your freezer, but you now have the knowledge firsthand of exactly what you need to do. When they say, you know, the knife go on the vertebrae, it's like mm-hmm. you've actually done it. Now, when you get out in the woods, mm-hmm. like, you know, everything that's got four legs on it is basically a version of a pig. So yeah. it's like, you've kind of got, you know, you got an idea of, you know, yeah. uh, where to start. And that's really cool. That's really cool that he does that. I don't know anybody else yeah. anywhere that does that, that. And be super handy to have around here. That's for sure. Yeah. So I think in the core course, I think as far as like cleaning or butchering, an animal, I think it's got a picture of a deer kind of like spread out with a dotted line yeah. going down the center of it. And it's like, this is where you cut to gut a deer or whatever. And that's it. Yeah. Right. And then it has a bear and it has like the lines going down the arms or whatever. And then, but it's like, you think about it, it's like, well, yeah. But like, how? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, like, but it, but it's that uh, experience of somebody being there. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you don't just like, like jab your knife in and saw your way down that line. Mm-hmm. It's like you got to like, cause you don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. um, pierce the stomach and stuff when you're cleaning them. And you're like, oh, I wish someone would have told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, um, yeah, I mean that's 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 probably a pretty common one I think for a lot of people is the is the moment an animals uh, on on the ground. I mean even even what you do after the moments you shoot an animal because they don't all just like fall on the ground. Like sometimes they'll you know they'll they'll run and collapse and it's like the whole thing of like tracking and finding the spot the animal was actually you know standing and stuff. And if you're not with somebody that knows like all of a sudden things can get like really confusing and, you know, and that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, those, those types of things would, uh, would be good additional workshops. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So here's a question for you. If you're 
so you get your you get your deer or your elk, whatever you're going after, and a young hunter that's coming from a family that doesn't hunt isn't gonna have somewhere to hang and age the the meat like does that have to be aged or can you go right to the the butchering table um like how or or can you can you cut it can you butcher it and then age it while it's while it's um butchered in pieces or or how does that Mm. work like how is that possible so i mean you can go you know straight from you know the field skin it um, you know, hopefully you have somewhere, you know, at, you know, at least overnight. So it cools, um, gets the body heat and stuff out of it. And then you can go straight to, you know, like cutting and wrapping and then getting into your freezer. Um, I've had to do that just because of like early September, it's hot out and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty, pretty impact cut all my meat myself. And, you know, uh, up until this point, like I haven't had my own walk-in cooler right like it's always the weather's always usually cool in hunting season and stuff you can hang it or you know hang it for a week or you know or whatever and then and then cut it up but um you know like an elk that i got last year it was like it was hot september weather and it was like i just had to go straight straight to getting it cut and wrapped and into the freezer so there's nothing wrong with that um you know you can you can do that you can then also take individual cuts afterwards and you can actually age those and you can actually after the freezer after after the freezer you can take it out you could thaw it and you can go through that aging process actually in a refrigerator okay so like if you're gonna have a roast one night you pull it out a couple days before kind of thing or no you could probably like pull it out anywhere from a week to two weeks ahead of time okay and go through the aging process um in your freezer Yeah. yeah Yeah, so it's um, your fridge yeah. or your fridge. Yeah. Sorry, um, yeah, you you would, you know, you would take it out of its wrapping. Um, you dry it because um, you, you want aged meat. And you want it to be dry. You don't want it yeah. to be like wet. Um, so air, so you, air exposed kind of thing. Air or, exposed. Yeah. yeah, it would be air exposed. So you'd want to get it um, as dry as possible, even before you put it in uh, in a refrigerator. And there are people that actually do this uh, where they buy the second refrigerator. And you can take an animal like a white-tailed deer um, and break it down and fit it on all the racks and stuff in a freezer. Sometimes um, people will just like smash all the shelves out and actually like, you know, put some hooks and stuff and hang it in. But you can fit a whole white-tailed deer in a refrigerator. Okay. And it basically keeps meat at exactly, you know, the same temperature that the big cooler at the butcher shop would did, right? It's just, uh, you know, it's just above freezing, but, um, you know, it's um, not warm enough to allow bacterial activity, but the enzymes can still be active inside the meat, which is, which is actually what's tenderizing the meat is the enzymes breaking down um, the tissue. So you can take those individual pieces and put them in your fridge, you know, um, and you want to make sure they're um, the best thing to do would be just to set it on if you've got those fridge cells that are just the little grates yeah like not like a glass shelf yeah um and just set it on there uh check it every day take it out dry it off with paper towel because uh, you will get moisture coming off of it and and just keep it in there and you know i've even heard people recommending like it's getting a little fan and sticking it in the bottom of the fridge too just allow that air movement inside your fridge and then you can play around with aging that cut 
mm-hmm. uh, in your refrigerator oh, and okay. check on it every day. And, you know, when you, when you age meat, you'll see like the, the meat will get very dark on the outside. Um, you'll get what they call the rind. It gets kind of smooth and leathery. Yeah. And part of the skill is you can actually kind of like smell and it's just like, this is good, clean meat. There's no bacterial action going on here. Like it just has a nice, sweet, um, steak smell. Let's like put it that way. And then you can actually see the dark purple, you know, like if you made a little cut, you could see the dark purple start working its way down into the meat. And and then it's just a matter of when you want to like pull it out and cook it. So you could do it, do it piece by piece if you wanted to. Yeah. That's a good question. I never thought about that. Yeah. Having a spare fridge yeah. and stuffing, just like, yeah, you quarter up your whitetail and you just, you could totally fit just. Yeah, you could. A whitetail yeah. could, that could be your, literally be your walk-in cooler. It could be a fridge. I've thought about that. Like I have my garage, but it's like, well, yeah, it's kind of early. Like I'm not sure if I could hang something in here. It's too warm, but it's a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good question. Better check a Gigi. Yep. <laughs> good old Gigi. New purchase tonight. Well, my mom just got a new fridge and she threw her other one away before I could get a hold of it. Uh oh! Now I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> so now you're gonna use your new fridge? She'll come home yeah. and open it up. And like, oh. Yeah, her brand new stainless steel fridge. <laughs> yeah, everything's all there, all this there, stuff there sitting we'll, on the counter. We'll, yeah, we'll put it out there on the podcast. If anybody has an old fridge they want to sell, get a hold of Bryce and well, he'll buy it off. Yes, you. yes. Well, up to six, will, up to six hundred bucks. Up yeah. to up to sixty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> free Just, re, free fridge removal. As long as yeah, it's uh, just gotta check with the wife first. Yeah, eh? they have these other <laughs> things too on the market now. There's a company that makes these little devices um, called the Coolbot, um, Cool, and then Bot, and it's a little uh, digital controller. And what you can do is you can build your own meat cooler. So just like wood frame, mm-hmm. um, insulate it, you know, really well, and then. What I've seen a lot of people do is they sheet the inside of it with that um, silver bubble wrap stuff that you use oh, in yeah. construction. Yeah. Um, and then you got that silver foil tape to like tape all the joints up. Yeah. Um, so they'll build that uh, well insulated, sealed, but you build a small air conditioner into it. And then you take this little Coolbot device and you wire it into the circuitry of the, uh, um, air conditioner. And basically what it does is it overrides the thermostat in the air conditioner because the air conditioner is going to want to shut off at like 16 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. The cool bot prevents that and then allows the air conditioner to keep running and get that volume, that locker, Mm -hmm. um, down to like, you know, uh, two to four degrees Celsius. So it's a really cool option to, mm-hmm. you know, build your own little, um, meat cooler. Yeah. Um, especially if you've got, or you can pick up an, uh, a fridge, uh, a secondhand air conditioner, a second. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you've got something that's a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could build something the size of this room we're sitting in if you wanted to, and then you could just walk in and, you know, hang big quarters of a moose or whatever in it. And, and away you go. Yeah. Those little cool bot things are expensive. Like I think they're going to run you like whatever, four or 500 bucks or something like that. But, well, then, but then you could even design something like temporary. Like <clears throat> if you don't have the space to like consistently have a freezer, you could build something that you could like tack together throw yep, the AC in it so if you get panels. something yeah if you get something you could slap these panels together cool it age it for two weeks 
take it down. take it down yeah. and then you got your space back like it doesn't have to be a permanent fixture yeah 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 because um you know i think cutting learning to cut your own game animals up is uh is a equally rewarding part of hunting like you know getting into yeah. it is is learning to do all that yourself and um then you know it's yours you know how it's been handled you get everything off of it that you want and stuff and mm-hmm. so having that that um capability to you know either a secondhand fridge or building a little um your own little meat cooler would be be the way to go mm-hmm. huh, cool yeah i love I love that whole process. Yeah. Oh, that's so I love fun. Cutting meat. Yeah. I love aging it. That's so, a really yeah. cool thing to do. That's something I didn't actually really think about too much when I first got into hunting. Cause I was like, oh, you just take it to the butcher shop. I didn't actually think at the time, I didn't really think that many guys did that. I was like, oh, like everyone just takes it to the butcher. And then Curtis is like, man, okay, you, you want to like butcher this thing? And I was like, we're going to do that. He's like, yeah, I'll show you. I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. Never like, I did. I don't know. I just, Everyone I ever talked to just brought it to the butcher shop, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Well, what, what'd you say? We went out for dinner just before this. And what'd you say now? You, you said something along the lines of like, now I just want to like hunt things just so I can like cook them. Oh, just so I can eat them. Yeah. yeah just experiment. Well, I, I was specifically talking about elk. I was like, man, I was like, well, actually, I, I, I was talking about ducks too. I was like, man, it's like, I, I just want to get an elk so I can eat it. I just want to cook them and eat them, you know? Like, I just want to try it. Like, that is like, it's a whole nother like part of hunting that I didn't think I would get that excited about and I'm excited about it. So like, I think that's cool. The, the culinary part yeah. of it is, is, uh, mm-hmm. is, is super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when, uh, as part of the responsibility of a hunter, it's like, it's learning to become a chef, right. Yeah. You know, and how to prepare that. And cause there's nuances with wild meat. That's not like your beef steak and you know, the big fat on it and you can't go wrong and it's going to be, you know, you know, it's going to be moist and stuff. Wild meats yeah. lean and, uh, you know, you got to be really, really careful with it and stuff. And so then the whole art and the culinary aspects of cooking wild game comes into it. And then it just even opens up more of your, you know, your world to do with hunting, right? Like every single time in the wintertime when there's no hunting season and you pull out some of your deer meat or whatever, and you're like, oh, I'm going to plan out this. Maybe yeah. you're going to age it in the fridge like a backstrap for two weeks and then you're going to do this whole thing like you're going to make an, a cool meal and, and cook it. And, you know, it just brings you back to the experience of hunting. Yeah, for even sure. Even though you're just cooking. Yeah. Yeah, when I, when I got my... Uh Whitetail, my first whitetail. I that my uncle there that that occasionally hunts. He he quite often gets like like you had mentioned pigs, and he butchers them as well. So so uh, he kind of showed me how to to butcher the the whitetail, and like you said, like it's it's super super rewarding to do that yourself. Um, so you've actually went out in the woods, found this animal harvested this animal brought it back to your house butcher it cook it you're like you're just completing a a full circle like you're 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 the only one that is touching that that meat yep yep yeah it's that having that um control over the chain of custody of that yeah that uh i mean that's truly what you know what they mean it's like field the fork right field the table it's yeah. just like that's why so many people, you know, that haven't grown up in hunting families now want to get into it is because of that, 
sustainable aspect of, you know, the high quality lean wild meat and the fact that they're taking responsibility and being in control of that whole process of, you know, putting meat, meat on their table. And, and that drives a lot of people now, right? Mm-hmm. That that's drives a lot of people for getting in, into hunting. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so, you know, butchering, wrapping, aging, and cooking is all just an extension of that whole entire experience. Yeah. It's true. I think it's kind of funny. It's like, you'll be out in the field and you'll make mistakes. Like, you know, whether like, it's like trying to find animals, scaring things off. And then it's like, even in, in the kitchen, you'll make mistakes. You'll overcook a piece of steak. And you'll throw it out because it tastes like garbage. You know, and you'll eat it. Oh yeah, you're like, I'll eat it. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, you're learning every step of the way. You know? Yeah, you, yeah. It's because you're right. It's like it's not like a beef steak. It's nothing like a beef steak. No, and I've it's definitely a whole, done that. Whole different approach to cooking wild game. Yeah. yeah, I think the only thing in the whole process that I can't get behind. I'm excited to hunt for it. I'm excited to clean it. I'm excited to butcher it. I'm excited to cook it. I'm not excited for those wild game dishes, though. There's no difference between regular dishes and wild game dishes. I don't sit there after a wild game meal be like, oh, and the next part, we get to wash these wild game dishes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't quite falling you there. No, I thought you were talking about like, the meal itself. No, yeah, it was like, like yeah, yeah. the dirty dishes. Just dishes, yeah. 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 The, 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 dirty dirty, dirty dishes, whether they're dishes. wild game or dirty dishes or just dirty dishes. I was like, you mean the next course wild game? <laughs> yeah. You're not in for that? <laughs> the next dish? <laughs> no, it's like... Yeah, no, uh, thanks for the elk dinner, Dad. Yeah, I got to work tomorrow. I have to get going home now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, you know, going to do stay and do the dishes? No, it's late. I got to... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. called, it's called field to fork. It's not called field to... Dishwasher? Clean dishes back on the shelf. Back into the cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, start a hashtag, get it trending, and see where it goes. There Maybe you go. it is. Yeah. Maybe that's a, that's a part of the experience we're missing. There's a lot of non-hunting partners out there that would like to get behind that movement. Make it, make the washing. Why don't you take a chainsaw and start the, cutting like discs off the end of a log, and then just put your wild game meat on that. Eat yeah. that right off the raw wood from nature, and then when you're done, just throw in the fire. Yeah, firewood. Fire, yeah, yeah huh? firewood and see what and, your and see what your future wives think of that. I bet you could sell that on eBay. Biodegradable. BC made dishes. You just call them like raw yeah. plates or something like free, that. Free wild game. You can sell this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Specifically for wild game. Don't, don't quit your day job, but, um, so what are the questions you guys have? Like from your experiences, what are, what are some other things you can think of? Uh, well, I've actually, this is something I've thought about because you hear this on two sides, like whether, uh, so you get a bigger animal, like a moose or an elk. Some guys are like, oh, like, don't gut it. Like, do the gutless method. Okay. And some guys are like, no, gut it. Like, I guess it maybe it's more for what situation you're kind of in. But say yeah, for me. elk. Say I'm got elk on the ground. I'm up in the mounds. I'm packing this thing out. Can't get the truck anywhere near it. Like, is it quicker to do, like, the gutless method? And maybe, like, quickly run me through, like, how you do it if you've done it before. Like, do you run, like... Like the knife okay. down its spine. Okay. Flop. Yeah. So yeah. I would say if you've got an animal, let's say you've got an animal and I've had to do this, uh, you get an animal towards the end of the day mm-hmm. and you know, you're not getting it out at nighttime. Um, you're going to be coming back in 
first light, then you need to gut the thing. Okay. You know, you need to gut it. You need to get all that out. You need to get that uh, chest cavity um, cut from the bottom of the sternum up in the rib cage, get a stick in there, you know, open it up. Um, You probably even want to get like the windpipe out and get that whole... um, you know, where the esophagus goes into the brisket through to the open chest cavity and, um, and get that thing cooling down, you mm-hmm. know, overnight. And, and even in a warm September, you know, day, um, you know, it can still have summer, summer temperatures in the day. Like you get back in the mountains and stuff like that. You just get in the shade, you get in a little North aspect, you get in a draw or even in nighttime, mm-hmm. like the cool stuff the temperatures get cool and they drop and the air will always be um, cooler than what the body temperature they all because even in probably a fairly hot September day the air is still going to be cooler than the elk Mm -hmm. and you're going to be getting heat out of that body and that's a really key thing right there is just is getting that heat out of the body as quickly um, as possible Mm -hmm. because that's how the bacterial action can start to take over and deepen the muscle and stuff as if that heat's retained even uh, you know even the animal like where if it's laying on its side um that side that's against the ground um can't lose heat yeah, um so it's even beneficial you know like a bigger animal if you can get it like literally get it rolled where it's balanced on its back um so like on the point of the spine you know prop some sticks or logs or whatever and kind of hold it in that position and let it cool out for the night if you have the time, um, like you get an animal, it's like first thing in the in the morning, you're back in the mountains. Um, I actually prefer the gutless method. Okay. Um, for one, you're going to be processing that whole animal right there. Um, you're going to be packing out. If there's some people with you, you're going to be packing her all out in one trip, or you're going to be packing some a ways away from the carcass, putting it in a tree coming back the next day but like you're going to be done with um the carcass at the immediate site like right there and then so you can waste an hour or more gutting the animal Mm. to then just move on to you know uh quartering and breaking the animal down into into the pack sizes where when you do um the gutless method you're going straight to you know getting the skin off and you're then you're removing quarters moving moving front shoulder hind quarter um back straps uh you know neck rolling it over a repeat like you're 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 gaining yourself like an hour you know of of um of time you know which is important because if you're that far back you're going to be you know, packing, yep. you know, you're going to need as much daylight as you can, you know, to pack, to get, get off the mountain. Um, then, then you can actually in the gutless method, like when you're all done, you can actually then go back in and make some little incisions, just kind of like, um, you know, above the spine by the hip, between the hip and the rib cage. And you can actually reach in because that's where the loins are. Mm-hmm. And you can then actually reach in and you can just use your fingers and go all up and down the loin muscle. And you can actually take it out without even going in with a knife and go to the other side, get the other loin out. You're just sticking your hands in there, kind of like just yep. pull in. <clears throat> yep. You just need, just in. like if you were a surgeon, you just make a, like a little incision. Um, you just find the top of the pelvis and then go up and find the rib cage right along the spine. Just make an incision there, mm-hmm. you know, just 
be careful because the, you know, the stomach's going to be pressing up in there. Just mm-hmm. lightly get in and then just work your hands in, push whatever you want out of the way and you'll feel that loin there, you know, and, and then you can just, yeah, like literally just start working it with your fingers. It's just very light connective tissue that holds it on. Yeah. You get to the ends where it, you know, tape tapers off and you can literally just take your fingers in and, and pull it away from the bone and mm-hmm. out you come with this beautiful loin. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want, um, the heart, like you then go up to the rib cage and you can cut a couple of, you know, ribs, open them, go in. It's like right there. And the other nice thing about, um, the gutless method besides the time saving component of it is your actual like work area around this animal is cleaner. So when you do like open them up, like, I mean, you know, you got all of the, the internal contents are going to come out and then usually like a tremendous amount of blood from hemorrhaging is going to come out. And now, you know, that's on the ground, it's getting on you. And then only like somebody's like slipping and, you know, like it just, it can become quite a mess around, around the work area where the gutless method I found is much cleaner. Would you even do it on a, a smaller animal, like a deer out in the wood? you can yeah i mean you can i mean if you you know if you hiked in Mm -hmm. like a long ways and you know and and decided that you wanted to to do that you could you could Mm -hmm. i mean most most white-tailed deer um even if you're with two people um unless you know you got some like like you know hog of a buck or whatever um you can usually just got them because the white-tailed deer it kind of is more sort of like 10 minutes or five minutes and you can gut them right and um you can literally just cut them in half and it's like there's your half and there's my half and you can put them on a pack and you know a guy can pack half a white tail and away you go so Mm -hmm. um but big animals like like an elk uh moose um i definitely now later in my hunting years lean towards that gutless method so okay is it not a legal requirement to um take the rib meat as well though yeah all edible portions of the of the meat so in the boneless method um so let's just kind of walk walk through this so you got an animal um let's just say he's laying on his side so you've got like his whole right side yeah um you're going to um uh, split the hide, you know, like from the base of the neck down to the top of the tail, uh, and then, you know, around the legs and, you know, like you do there, then, um, that, you know, there's two ways you can either then from the back skin it towards the legs and then take that hide right off. Mm -hmm. Uh, or you can, actually not split it down the back and skin from the legs and everything up and then fold that hide up towards its back and and just leave it like that um, that's my preferred method because then it's actually like if you think of this book um, I'm skinning all this and then flip that hide over and then the white page here is all the muscle which then I can cut the shoulders and everything off mm-hmm. then when that's all done I roll the animal over I'm actually rolling it on to its back onto its hide oh, okay. and again it's just sort of like a clean work not that you're ever oh, going to yeah. go back to that side but it's like a clean work work area um but yeah, I mean, so that's basically what you're doing is you're just skinning off half the animal and then going up and, and it doesn't matter which order you start in, like you can then debone the neck muscle, you can take the front shoulder off, you can cut all the meat out of the ribs, you can take the back strap off and take that hind quarter off. 
And when you get down to the hind quarter, as long as you're careful in working in, you know, from the groin to the hip socket and taking that big giant drumstick off and not cutting into the abdominal cavity, that, that whole stomach and intestines and stuff is just going to stay inside. Then, you know, take that loin and then everybody flips the animal over and then you do the same thing. You skin the other, you know, book cover off and do the same thing. You remove all those, all those parts. And then literally it's just like, you've got this like rib cage and pelvis and stuff with the stomach and everything still inside it laying on the ground. It's like this nice little package almost that that is what you're leaving behind. So Nice little Christmas present with the bow for the next G-Bear that comes walking by. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's how I did my elk last year because it was way up and it was, uh, you know, it took us two days. So we had to take um, the first loads of meat and pack them about 100 yards away and put them up in this big gigantic tree, mm-hmm. hung them from the limbs. And then like we were 100 yards or so away from the carcass when we went back in the next morning. So, oh, yeah. which was more likely where a grizzly bear was going to be rather than hopefully at the yeah, like right at the there. tree so yeah but um okay i mean there's some good videos out there i've watched it. a lot of videos yeah yeah but it's, one of the best yeah. ones i've ever seen is um is randy newberg okay yeah randy, R- randy newberg yeah, that's a good randy one. newberg hunter he has one where he got yeah. an elk um so it was this beautiful setting it's just like it's this open gr- yellow grassland mm-hmm. and so like super clean but it was like they have professional cameramen there with the cameras on it and stuff. And it's like, he walks, he walks you through it. It's probably the best one I've seen. Right. So I don't know what. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Do some like, don't want to get too confident. <laughs> that I'm going to be testing out these methods, but yeah, yeah, definitely have to give that a watch. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely, you know, for a, for a bigger animal, it would be one, uh, a technique for processing it. I'd really invest the time into study to learn how to do it. If you know, you think you're going to be by yourself. Cause, uh, the other, you know, time saver, you know, the other benefit of the gutless method is especially on a bigger animal is, um, you know, it's physically hard to process and break one of these big animals down, especially by yourself. I mean, like bordering on, like sometimes it isn't possible by yourself on a big animal like an elk or, you know, even more so on a moose. I mean, you physically can't move things and, you know, and, and, um, that just the process of like gutting them, you can burn up a lot of energy. Yeah. You know, you can get, you can sort of be wearing, wearing yourself out and powering out, you know, before you even get to like pack. And so, yeah. So, when you're out there, like uh, we haven't discussed this yet, is the uh, equipment. Like, what what should you have? Like your essentials in your pack that you are going to need if you say if you do get an elk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is a little knife, just a little knife, isn't going to do right. You're going to need your uh, some sort of a saw, I would assume. Yeah, so I mean, there's a there's a few of the essentials. So if you just sort of just focus on essentials that are to do with processing an animal, I mean, there's the stuff you know that you want in your pack that you would just like regular backpack hiking or whatever. It's like you know, what do you do if you get stuck out? You can build a fire, like you know, all that yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, first aid kit, 
<clears throat> those those sorts of things. But just kind of your game processing stuff. A um, couple of knives are usually beneficial. Um, I usually have um, have two knives. I have my old um, older um, like buck folding knife I've had since a kid, like the traditional yeah. you know or or a, a straight blade knife. And I also pack. Um, those um surgical blade knives now okay that's i got one of those yeah yeah just because there sometimes gets a point where you know i'm processing these big animals and stuff where you are getting tired um you're feeling the stress of time and typically what happens is just kind of like a chainsaw you just don't stop take a breather and spend five minutes, get your knife sharpened. You just keep working with this knife that's getting duller and duller mm-hmm. and it's becoming less and less efficient. You're expending more and more energy. You're struggling with it. And then before you know it, like you seriously cut yourself because you know, a sharper, sharper tool is safer than a, than yeah. a dull one. It, yeah. it works that way. The hunting knife, the only thing I've done with, um, with those, uh, which I've recommended to a few people is, um, I bear, I bear, buy a pair of those, um, cut resistant gloves from like the safety supply places. And I throw those in my pack oh, and I like actually, Kevlar gloves or, yeah. yeah. So when I'm actually, um, using that surgical blade knife, I'm wearing those because like, it's one thing to cut you with your hunting knife, but if you make a big, like kind of a slashing motion and yeah. you catch yourself with that surgical blade, I mean, yeah, it's a whole Ooh. different story. Yeah, and the fact you could, bad news. You, you could bleed to death. Yeah. Like the cuts are that bad, right? There are some people that actually, you know, that I've heard friends have told me, um, that refuse to use them, refuse to have them Oh yeah, because yeah. of that that risk, right. You know, like okay. your wrist or whatever, but, um, but I use both simply, you know, because if you do get to that stage where it's like, man, I just need a sharp knife. I've got to get going. I've got to get this done and whatever. I can just change the blades out and it's like, I can just kind of keep going. So, um, yeah, your knives uh, are important. And then actually like for a regular straight or folding blade knife, some kind of a, um, sharpening steel yeah you know and you should should keep up on that saws definitely um definitely a key on a big animal you can process an entire animal like an elk or a moose with a knife okay. you, you can actually cut through the vertebrae you can get you can get all four quarters off with a knife you can get all your meat off with a knife you can get the head off the neck with a knife um, just okay, by yeah. right at the base where the bit where the spine joins, you know, the skull where that big hole is. If yeah. you do, you just find that that whole thing opens up very easily. You can get through neck vertebrae. Um, if you have to, it's, it's, they're very difficult because there's a lot of like interlocking fins and stuff and it's really finicky. Um, but I carry a folding saw with me that has a bone blade in it because sometimes when I'm, you know, way back in the mountains or whatever, it's like the elk I got last year. It's the one laying right there. It's just like, I am not bringing out the entire skull mm-hmm. for a European. Like it's a nice bowl. It's, it's, you know, I got it with a bow, but it's like, it's not a priority, you know, a 30 pound skull added to the top of your backpack. Yeah. Um, so I just basically cut like the minimal amount of uh, skull and if you don't have a have a bone saw um that's tough 
because yeah. your regular folding wood saw to like cut some branches and get yourself a little bit of wood to start a fire does not work too well on bones. So I would definitely uh, have a little folding bone saw, like the little Wyoming saws or whatever. Those yeah. are pretty yeah. good. Uh, and then I think the next uh, really key thing are meat bags. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely critical because... No, they got different kinds. They've got like the cloth. They've got the... Um some sort of a synthetic, I guess. Like a yeah. Synthetic wicks more <clears throat> than the cotton. Like just your, your basic cloth game bags. That's, that's the thing that I noticed with those ones that I have, the synthetic ones, is they wick. Um, wick in what way? They're like they're wicking blood out or... Just, just like moisture, especially yeah. if you got to hang stuff. Like they just yeah. wick that moisture off rather than staying... It's like wearing a cotton t-shirt versus a synthetic yep. t-shirt. Like it just eventually yep. through atmosphere and, you know, wind yep. and all that stuff. And yep. it'll actually I mean, it's kind definitely of one of the benefits they talk about those things is um, like the, the synthetic yeah. meat bags are... They're probably They're strong, yeah. um, but they do allow, um, you know, cooling. Uh, I, I use cotton ones. I have my whole entire life. They're actually all like made, like, like home, homemade ones. Yeah. Never, never have a, have a problem with them. Just, um, just because typically where I've always hunted growing up, it's like, it's not Arizona. Like, you know, you're not got a big animal in 45 degree weather. Right. So, um, they've always cooled and you can always like be processing your animal and just like hanging, um, like the meat or the quarters or whatever. And the very last thing you do is put your meat bag on or whatever, but usually you put them on right away because flies show up, um, Mm -hmm. and, and you keep those guys off. But I think either way, um, you know, the synthetic ones are great or, or the cotton ones. The ones that I'm not uh, a fan of are those um, cheese, cheesecloth type ones, you know, where they show oh, you yeah. like for a deer and it's like, you got a like a glove and you got to like stretch it over the whole deer. And, and it's like, well, that stuff's like that gauze um, from your first aid thing, right? Like no, you can, you can see through it. Dicks. So you can, you can, it's great. You, but you lay the, if the animal touches the ground, like then the dirt's going right through it onto your meat and you're like, you know, like uh, it, okay. it can get dirty. Um, the stuff's very thin. It's that form fitted, you know, like trying to put a sock on your deer. If it catches a bit of a sharp bone, it rips. So the, the bigger the meat bags, the better, actually. There's yeah. nothing, nothing nothing worse than being out in the bush and trying to get, like, this huge quarter and get it into this little pillow sack going, yeah. you know, come on, yeah, come get, on. Yeah, get them for a moose, and then you'll be good from everything. From, for everything, yeah, yeah, unless you get a buffalo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, meat bags are essential, and I always, um, I actually have more meat bags than, you like, just four. So I have, typically I have four big ones and then I'll have like four smaller ones because you'll find things like, um, um, like your back straps or your heart and liver, um, you know, your neck or whatever. It's like you kind of, those all go in kind of separate bags or whatever. And, and so, yeah, anywhere from, you know, six, six to eight meat bags uh and then the other i think essential thing to uh to your pack would be um some rope and the best bang for your buck in my opinion with rope is those um bundles of uh, paracord oh yeah because i mean you're talking about a bundle that's just small and then there's like whatever like 300 feet of cord or whatever on it and you can hang quarters with those um 
and like the elk I got last year where it landed, it was on this steep hillside and you start moving them around and he's like, this thing's going to take off. Mm-hmm. So it's like you got the head and the antlers tied back up to some alder. And so there's like 30 feet used up there. And then it's might you might need to like tie a leg back, you know? So yeah. And it's like, well, the nearest that's 20 feet there. And then, you know, you need some to tie the antlers on your pack and then you need some to run the other bags up in the tree. And, and, um, yeah, yeah it's <clears throat> small, it's light, it's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Like if you, if you had a good rope, it's like, yeah, it's heavy and it takes up a lot of space and then you don't really want to cut it Yeah. where I've, I've had it before where I've, I've just cut chunks of my paracord off just yeah. to use it for whatever. And it's like, you don't feel like stuff. you're the paracord's yeah. pretty, it's got a pretty high, um, break. Oh yeah. 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 And I mean, Poundage. if you have to, I mean, you can like double it back and forth or whatever, yeah. but I mean, you, you can, you know, it'll, it'll support the weight of, um, you know, pretty much anything that, you know, if okay. you break, if you're breaking, you know, down or deboning or whatever, you'll, you'll be able to hang everything fine with, with one of those bundles of paracord. So I think those are the, those would be like the essentials. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what a couple knives, a couple knives, bags. A, a bone saw and your, and your meat bags. Yeah. Coarse headlamps, you know, those are, those yeah. are important because yeah. this can push you into, into nighttime, but just, just an actual processing kit. Um, and those and those safety gloves, like even just yeah. even just if you're not using those surgical blades, like I can guarantee you, if like we were all right here, like processing an elk, you know, like somebody is going to cut themselves, right? Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, you I don't got think, adrenaline. I don't know if I've it. ever processed an animal or I haven't. Like, I'm I'm just like I'm just about done. All of a sudden, poke and like I. Yeah. Well, and you get, yeah. you get, oh it's, man, I've, I, we've had it before when we're even just at home and everyone's just, you know, you're processing up a quarter and you get like two, three guys and you got knives flying everywhere. And it's like, doesn't mean you're not going to cut yourself, but I've, like, I've poked you with a knife a few times and it's like, I've been poked with a knife and yeah. it's just like, you just have points going all Kinda over the place. Personal. Like usually, <laughs> usually, usually happens when you're skinning. Cause you, you start there and I start there and then all of a sudden yeah. you're both kind of working it and you're like, okay. One of us needs to stop here. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, no, it's good. Good question. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know. Are these things that are, you know, that are not taught in the course? Like it's, yeah, I can understand kind it. Of. If you don't know, it's like, yeah. you get out, like yeah. you brace, you get out there. Oh, got this moose or this elk. And it's like, well, now what? Now what do we yeah. put it in? What yeah. do we cut it with? How do I get the head off? Well, it's like, it's like, yeah, exactly. Well, like I'm sure like, and I know I could always call somebody, but uh, I do have game. Always, bit. man. Actually, well, true, true. You can be in a you don't have cell service. That's true. It doesn't take very far to get out of the valley here in the mountains, and we don't have cell service here. True, true. Yeah, like I said, I have game bags, but I only got four. I only got four. Yeah, I was, I was carrying garbage bags too, but I no, I'm not sure if I wouldn't stuff up. That's bad news. Yeah, I'd I'd leave those at home, and unless you want to pick garbage up in the back country. Oh, really? Do not, I, well, do not use those for meat. Yeah, not oh, for okay. meat, but they're they're good. Like I've I've definitely like lined the inside of my pack before with a garbage bag for waterproofing. Yeah, I mean, they're, like they're during, during ski touring trips and stuff like that. They have. Um, yeah, I mean yeah. the whole thing. They can double as a rain jacket and cover your pack, and there's all that kind of stuff. But don't use I, them for I meat. would not use them for a meat bag um, for two principal reasons. One, um, they do not breathe. So you're trapping 
heat. And even you can spend like four hours or five hours breaking an animal down, hanging in it, getting everything ready, loading up a pack, packing for six hours out of the mountain, um, getting back to camp, getting all cleaned up. You know, it's two in the morning, do whatever. Finally, you go to take the meat out of your pack and it's still hot. And it's like if you had just went to bed and left it in your pack like that, um, it would probably be spoiled in the morning. Um, so as soon as you take, you know, that meat and put it inside a garbage bag, then it's not losing that heat. You're you're working against um, what you should be doing to try to cool it. Then the other thing is, is garbage bags, uh, from what I understand, this is why... Another reason I'm against them is garbage bags are actually sprayed on the inside with a fungicide, which is partly why um, your garbage can kind of has a f- when you first put a new bag in it, not after two you weeks, but that fresh it kind of has a smell. Oh, a fresh garbage bag smell, right? Ah, it's yeah. actually it, it's because what they're trying to do is inhibit. Yeah. Like decomposition in your kitchen, right in the bag with a little bit of fungicide in there. Yeah. And it's like, I just don't like the idea of that being against yeah. your meat. Yeah, for sure. And, and a lot of them are scented too. Yep. So whether it be the mm. fungicide or uh, added scent too. That's My elk tastes like lavender. That's funny. I, I put garbage bags in my bag because when I was first starting hunting, I was Googled essentials. And that was on one of the lists that oh. I looked up was garbage bags yeah. I don't think it was for meat uh, on like on their list it was like well it's a makeshift rain jacket oh yeah and yeah there's like, all that those kind of stuff. yeah 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 hot but, air balloon whatever. But, it, yeah. but it was they considered it an essential uh, who knows what side I read it off of yeah but, but yeah um an essential from a uh um uh being in the mountains type thing that it's important to have but definitely not as yeah. a as a game bag I gotcha yeah I mean, I've seen some people use the garbage bag on the skulls. So they skin the skulls out. They're bringing out the antlers and the full oh, okay. skull. Yeah. They'll they'll put that um, all over the skull. And then usually somebody will have like a roll of electrician's tape. Yeah. And then you tape that all down because then it's just, again, it helps keep it clean and keeps, you know, your pack clean. Usually a lot of times the skull sitting up close here to the back of your head and yeah. stuff like that. So, and you know, you're not, you're not worrying about um, heat loss or, or, uh, lavender scent or whatever on your skull. So I'm going to have to switch those out too. I got that, that cheesecloth, uh, packs oh, yeah. in my bag there. So I'm going to have to, yeah, no, the first time you're out there and you were like, yeah. you're like, Oh shit. I'm just not even going to make that mistake. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm going to switch that out right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Throw them up on Kijiji I tomorrow. I have now. I better look. Maybe I got the same stuff. I haven't used them yet, so I mean, you can only make, ones I've ever bought. You can make meat bags. <laughs> you just buy the white cotton sheets. Oh yeah, yeah, and then you can literally like take a sheet and um, just trying to think. You can cut it in half, fold it in half, and then stitch it down the two sides, and you got yourself like a giant, yeah, giant bag. Yeah, and then smaller for your smaller additional bags is um if you just had uh white pillowcases yeah yeah that's actually what i have okay i've got a bunch of those good to know for sure yeah and then so like all like i said all your small stuff you know like whatever you can you can have these extra little little meat bags and so yeah cool good questions anything else 
How about, uh, I need to know. You can give me coordinates. Inquiring minds need to know. I need to know. Where where is a yeah. six point bullet? This, I was gonna say this is this is a scam. Bryce tried hitting me with this the other day. It's like, oh, oh yeah, I'll come on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just need some info. <laughs> there's one right there. Yeah, there's, oh, a, yeah. Cu- there's a couple a in painting here. Painting is yeah. surrounded by elk. Yeah, yeah. they're, in, they're in the bush. A, yeah, the that's bush. a seven point that one. Yeah, big game of hide and seek. Yeah, yeah, you just gotta find them. Just gotta find them. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I mean it's that. It's tough. Uh, I think in our neck of the woods here, um, our elk population's down and people, you know, across the border having, you know, tougher time finding elk, fewer elk, you know, same number of people do the math. Yeah, they're going to be a little harder to find. Um, Since they've gone to the restriction on elk here being six-pointer better being legal elk than of course all these five points and stuff that you see you know you're like might be the most perfect situation in the world but it's not a you know not a legal bull um the archery season of course were uh allowed any any size bull um so which is good you're just like yep that's a bull and now you're just waiting for like your perfect shot opportunity that's um that's that's pretty sweet um, the other thing I've found that's happening here is, you know, we got more roads, um, more people traveling roads. Uh, we know that wildlife of all types from grizzly bear to elk and everything, um, tend to not like being near roads. Um, so over the time here in our region, like more roads being put in for logging and stuff, the more and more of the land is getting like filled up with roads is more and more of the elk are being pushed further and further from those roads. And more people like now with like side by sides and quads and stuff are like pounding on all these roads, even to get a little bit older. And it's like that disturbance is kind of like pushing elk a little bit farther away. And so a lot of these traditional ways of hunting that people around here, sort of like, you know, you go out, you glass the avalanche chutes, you glass the cut blocks and it's like, Oh, well, there's an elk up in the cut block, whatever. Right. Um, it still happens. You know, people still get them that way, but I think our elk behaviors are changing and they're, they're much more wary of those open areas. They don't like being around those road systems. And so they're opting for areas of the landscape that are, much more um, isolated, more secure, I think more heavily timbered. I've, I've like talking to like old guys, like that's what they say, like they're like, they're almost surprised and I'm like, man, like I'm, I'm going where you say, like I'm looking where you say and like I've been hunting for four years and I've, I haven't like, I've actually come across a six point once. Yeah. Like this entire time. And he was on private land, <laughs> and it was, they're just like, "Well, like, I don't know." And it was like, "Like, you know, like, like they're not in these cut blocks. Every time I come across elk, they're in the thick of the thick, yeah, right." And yeah. that's where it seems to be normal. Yeah, see a lot of five yeah. points. Yeah. Yep, it's hard to uh, hard to get that last one on there though. On and there, and that's part of the strategy is you know when you go to the six point season, they can still have a general open season uh, where everybody has the opportunity to go hunt an elk, but they're not harvesting harvesting as many bulls because they're the legal bulls ones that make up the smallest 
percentage of the population. Yeah. So yeah. obviously fewer, fewer people are going to get them. And, um, but you know, that's been my experience the last few years in the archery season is it's like, you know, the highest, farthest away, nastiest places that you can like literally get your physical self into. Mm-hmm. It's just like thrashed by elk. Yeah. They're living there and it's tough to hunt uh archery hunting like you only need like last year i got a bull at eight yards you know this year i had one at 10 yards that was just like split second and but he just saw me and spun away like i mean it's close it's really tight i had another bull this year that was at 15 yards standing right there but i couldn't even lift my bow up with an arrow knocked because it would get hung up in the brush And it's just like, it was just a, I was a tourist right at that, at that moment. Still pretty cool. Uh, you know, have, have them come plowing in there like a bulldozer through all this thick stuff, but it's like, you have no chance, but it's like, that's where they are. And so that's where we hunt them because all it takes is like one little opening, the size of that TV set right there. And it's like, you got your elk, right? Like you don't, you don't need, um, you know, a big vast open area. Um, that's also a little bit, I find the difference between, uh, rifle hunting and hunting and archery is, you know, to a, a rifle hunter, he's sort of like, Oh, I'm going to go hunting today. This whole Valley, all those cut blocks and all those giant basins are in my domain today where a bow hunter's more like, I'm going to go up this ridge over to there. And that little opening that's right there, that's the size of this room right here. That's my hunting spot for the day. The elk needs to stand right there (laughs) or I'm not going to get it right. So, um, the thought process is different and bow hunters are willing to go into those places and get in tight quarters and just look for that little two, three foot opening. And, um, but that's also a very difficult environment to be in to go, yep, that's a legal six point bull, you know, an archer's just like, yeah, it's a bull and then you can get ready. So, but once the rifle season comes and you have to make sure that that's, six point hunting in those types of situations are yeah very tough so yeah Yeah. that's something i want to get into when when i get more experience obviously is uh is bow hunting yeah yeah i think it's uh it's it's a great way to hunt it um it will take your um the skills that you need to learn like to another level and beyond because yeah. you now are getting down into that area where you like you are you are in his space yeah i've yeah. heard it compared to like like fly fishing is like the bow hunting of of hunting world right yeah i mean it it's a similar analogy if your fly line was like 18 inches long oh yeah <laughs> and your fly had no hook on it there we go okay then the analogy yeah. would be the same yeah. <laughs> But no, I'd, I'd encourage, I, I would encourage you to get, uh, you know, start into archery hunting and you just start now and just like start shooting. There's yeah. nothing more important you can do for getting into archery hunting is just shooting, you know, just shoot lots, shoot lots, shoot lots, just get, get that down and get, you know, get proficient and stuff at it. Yeah. And, and the more you rifle hunt, the more you can sort of see how animals react you know, when they hit, um, where they go, um, cause it becomes a whole different ball game with bow hunting. Cause you don't get that second shot. Yeah. You got one shot and then it's like, that's it. You wait. 
you know, you wait half an hour on a small animal, you wait an hour, you know, on a big animal. Oh, okay. And then you got to go pick that trail up and find it. So yeah. it's very different than, than rifle hunting, you know, both patience and skill afterwards to go find your downed animal and, yeah. Yeah. and whatnot. So I think kind of the more, you know, the more experience you've had rifle hunting and you've been through, through the loop of getting an animal, finding it, getting it out. Yeah. It's going to, going to, um, make bow hunting a little easier. For sure, yeah. yeah. I would get into it. I would get into it for sure. It's awesome. Oh, this is fun to shoot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, just go out and shoot a few arrows and relax and unwind at the day. It's kind of a meditative thing as well. So so what? Uh, what's your most memorable experience so far? Out hunting? Probably um, it, was, it was on the... Uh, on the moose hunt that we had. Yeah. Um, every single weekend we ran into a bear, not necessarily seeing him, but we would be, it was, it was actually the last day of, um, elk season two. And we hear this big bugle go off in the distance. And one of the guys I was hunting with also had an elk tag. So we were kind of like, well, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should go check that out. And the entire time we were walking, we were walking down this trail and, uh, we were following grizzly or, or I, I, I'm not sure it could have been black bear. I'm not, I don't know the difference yet. Um, a bear track all the way up through this fresh snow that we're walking through. (laughs) And so we hear this, this bugle and there's a bit of trees and then there's a swamp and then there's more trees on the other side. So we start walking towards this tree and all of a sudden we hear like a big, big growl from a gri- or from a bear, and we just like, okay, maybe we won't go for uh, for the elk. We'll just continue <laughs> looking for the moose. So we we uh, turned the other way and kept walking, and uh, and yeah, I mean we we were up we were up there quite a ways, and we literally seen a bear every weekend or heard a bear. So I mean it was it was freaky, but but. It, it happens, right? And as yeah. long as you're, you're giving it its space, um, and you're you're out there mixing it up with the wild creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So that was that was probably the most memorable um, experience about that. Oh, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times hunters will talk and they'll have stories and stuff, uh, you know, about something that was really cool that happened to them, you know, the day or whatever. And a lot of times it has to do with something that's nothing to do with you know, with hunting or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, this, this year when we were out, one of my hunting partners, he, you know, on his day went into this place where he had a tree stand. He went up and that's what he did. He sat in the tree stand for the day, you know, hoping that an elk would come in and, uh, he gets up in the tree stand and this broken snag beside him, there was an owl sitting on it and he gets up there and the owl and they look at each other and it's like the owl bails off and flies away and it had caught a uh, uh, um, uh, bushy-tailed wood rat oh yeah, yeah. and uh, left it laying on the top of the snag right beside him in his tree stand uh-huh. and it was like he was just like he talked about that when he got back right he's how cool that whole experience was and then he saw a martin and a fisher and kind of just up in the tree stand and it was like yeah that was his, it was day and then and it was a super memorable day for him just just being out there yeah 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 what about you bryce what was your 
What's been your most memorable? Most memorable day was last day of mule deer season last year. And Curtis took me out hunting, and it was just a beautiful day, like oh, yeah. bluebird day, and it was uh, it was cold. And remember, we got up there, and we just started seeing deer right away, and it was I I just from it was just they were so action packed, right? There was just deer everywhere. Every I think, oh, is that a four point? Oh, no, it's three point. Is that a four point? Oh, it's a three point. It was like that nonstop, but it wasn't frustrating because it was just all this wildlife. We I seen we seen foxes, and other like small animals and Curtis ended up uh, bailing halfway through the day because uh, <laughs> I was going to say we had we yeah. had vastly different experiences we did yeah, it was Curtis's worst day one of my best but, <laughs> yeah. but, but then Curtis left and I was like because of his knee yeah but like I would just like sit in a spot and I'm like I'm just going to sit here for half an hour and I'd have mule deer walking by me and then I'd go like for another 30 minutes and I just it was just non-stop all day and it was just so much fun and I'm, I never, ever came across a four point, <laughs> but, uh, it was, I just couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe there was so much deer everywhere. I was I just right in the middle of it all. We, we had a, we had a year like that. The last day of the season we were up there and there was just like deer everywhere. And the closer you're getting towards dusk, there were bucks coming out of the woodwork. They were mm-hmm. popping up like whack-a-mole and it was just like yeah. every single one was a big three point. Yeah. I remember, right down to the, you, you, yeah. oh, there's no more shooting light. And it's like, oh, there's a buck standing there and you're squinting looking at it. So that's three point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> I was like, I was like so certain. I was like, I'm going to come across a four point. I I have to. And had that feeling. Yeah. So I'm like, I remember I'm like, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, well I'm going back to the truck. So like, I'm probably like 30 yards away from the truck and sure enough, the biggest three point I ever seen is 30 yards away from the truck. But I'm looking at him. I'm like. Oh, grow that fourth time, man! I was like, I was like, I was so sure. I was like, yeah. we shall. So, I, like, oh, but no. I we shall one. name that three point ridge. I seen one yeah. last year. It was a, it was a three point, but it was growing that fourth time there. Oh, yeah. It was like, it was it was there, but but really questionable. It was it was way too short to make that uh, that call. Yeah, at, at that distance, um, and that's another thing. Actually, what really helped me as a beginner hunter was um being friends with Curtis and he he's uh you guys are both very um ethical not necessarily what you can do but what you should do yeah um and uh i'm sure a lot of your knowledge has passed through Curtis onto uh, onto me about about ethics and uh and just how to be a, a good respectable um hunter yeah. right so yeah. so i thank you guys for that that's that's awesome oh, that's cool yeah 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 there's a few people out there that are sort of like they see that little nub of the fourth tine or the sixth tine and yeah roll and the dice it ends yeah. up in a confiscated pile so mm-hmm. yeah they end up with a ticket and stuff out of it and unfortunately an animal you know mm-hmm. dies it didn't need to and it's yeah, yeah you got to be just sort of like you know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's like that tine is more than an inch long. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. it's like, just sort of like exactly. no doubt. It's like time. yeah, it's like six inches. I'm you know mm-hmm. uh, that sure. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the that's the right thing to do. Oh, cool. What's uh, so so just kind of on that, like on the tine things, is is there things about the hunting regulations? Like kind of as a new hunter, you get questions about, or you're kind of like they're straightforward to figure out or they're like, what the heck is going on here? 
Um, you know, it's like you really have to like sit down and read the entire thing through. It's 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 dry material, but but that's that helped me a lot was was reading every last word and making sure I understood it before I even got out there. Okay. And uh it's good advice. Attempted to. Yeah. 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 So I and I think that's that's sage advice for anybody, uh, no matter how much you hunt, because, um, you know, you can always come back and yeah. refresh yourself on a definition of something or, or you'll probably learn something every year. And plus every two years, the regulations change, yeah, right? For sure. Yeah. Nope. Well, I, I remember like, like sitting in the trailers, we're way up somewhere and you know, there's nothing, we got no no other sources of entertainment up there. It's like, you can only flip through handbook of the Canadian Rocky so many times. And I'm sitting there and I'm just reading the regulations. regulations. It's like, every time I read through it, it's just like, Oh man, like there's, there's something new. Like, it's like, Oh geez, I didn't actually realize that. Or you kind of like something, you clarify something. You're like, Oh, I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah. Or like, Hey, are you allowed to, whatever. And what's the possession limit of gross or whatever. And I don't know. And it's like, like crack out their eggs and, and, uh, sort it out. That's why usually when I pick them up, you know, it's sort of like, I get like a box of them because there's like two in the truck and one in the camp and, you know, there's just like hunting regs everywhere. Yeah. What about you? How are the hunting regs? The hunting regs? Uh, I definitely haven't read through it cover to cover. You know what you're doing tonight, hey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked through the East or the East Cooney section, I guess. But uh, I don't know. When, it was, when I, was, I, I was in my tree stand this year and a five point came out and it had that like that sixth tiny nub. And I, while I was sitting there, I Googled how long a time could be. And I, like, I was like, okay, like, can I shoot this thing? And then I was like, it was like, yeah, 2.5 centimeters or whatever. And, or an inch. I don't know. Like, yeah. And then there's like, the thing that has to be longer than it is yeah. wide at the base. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, I'm like going back and forth because this bull was just, he was one antler to thing and he was just walking back and forth. Right. It would have been so easy if he was for sure a six foot. Was like, this in no. the archery season? Nope. This was like a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. Or sorry, not a couple weeks ago. It was like four or five days ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. This, I haven't. Yeah, because it was an archery season. Oh, he would have been so easy. Oh, I'm sitting there with my rifle in the same in my same tree stand because I've had lots of action actually right there, calling in cows and stuff like that. So I just keep going back to it. <laughs> it that's seems what to be you working. Gotta, that's what you got to do. Yeah, but I remember yeah, googling it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what are the rules? Because this thing is tiny. <laughs> uh, I love that. I get I get calls from Bryce like a couple times a season just about stuff. Oh hey, yeah. Hey, you know what's what's such and such with this. Oh no! You, you got to do this. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> like just I know, cl- clarify. It was stuff. it was last year. I called you. It was like early in the hunting season. I came across the three point mule deer with brow tines, and I was like, "Oh, do brow tines count? I don't think they do." I'm gonna call Curtis. I call yes. Curtis. I'm looking at this buck. Hey, do brow tines count? He's like, "No." Okay. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> when I was I was at like a, a staff wind up party, and you know I didn't really have my phone with me, and then I like get a text and I like pull it out and it was like I saw it was from Bryce so then I was just like whatever like I'll get back to him later continued socializing and then it was like phone buzzed again and again and so I like picked it up and Bryce was like call me now 
ASAP, like exclamation mark. And just like all this urgent stuff I was like, Oh my God, like maybe something happened. Like somebody's hurt. Like he's, you know, stuck somewhere. I was like, Oh, I was like, sorry guys. I, yeah. I'm like, sorry guys. Like, <laughs> and I like, I, I gotta go like take this. And so like Bryce calls me and he's like, yo, staring at this mule deer. Do brow tines count? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah, no, that was funny. What's, uh, what's, uh, in your experience so far, what, what would you say is the dumbest thing you've done? Like the dumbest legal thing. Just keep in mind, I got like COs on speed dial on my phone here. So. <laughs> dumbest legal thing. I like how you got to emphasize the legal there. Legal. <laughs> legal. Like, you know, you know, you're doing something. It's like, oh, oh, was that ever stupid? I did that. It's like. I have to think about it. You're talking earlier today. You're pretty good at scaring white tails. Oh, I am. Like you I just am. walk straight. I could talk about that. Yeah, I do. I just like well, like I've I've learned this is what I've learned. Like <laughs> this year, I've been trying to be a lot better. Well, or I'd see like a mule deer or you see can't some, just walk straight at and them. I'd be like, he's over there, go straight towards him, like and like out in the open, and I'm like. I had a thing, or I, st- I still can't get over this. Like, I don't want to lose sight of him ever, right? So, like, if I see him, I was like, I can't lose sight of him, or else I'm going to, like, never see him again. So, I'd always, like, try to make my maneuvers getting closer while maintaining visual contact, and it never works, because, of course, I can see him. And he can he see can me. see you. <laughs> yeah, but then it's, like, the other day, I come across, like, that, I, I came across a bull, and I could, didn't get a count on him because the second I seen him, he didn't see me, but he was walking in the bush, but I could tell he was a decent size. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to have visual contact. I'm going to go and see if I can get in front of him. I'm like, I'm going to break my own rule. And of course, I go over there and I never see him again. <laughs> so I was like, what am I? I try doing it right. And I still lose him. But name of the game, I guess. But uh, well, yeah, that could be the dumbest thing I've done, but I've done it multiple times. Just <laughs> scared things away. <laughs> just walks straight at them and just, they get freaked out and take yeah, off. Why do you run away from me? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can never get that to work, that might be a whole new technique, right? Could be. Could be. But so far it's not working. So far it hasn't. What about you? What's your biggest? Oh, man, um, I can't believe I did that. Probably, like... Forgot your rifle? No, I've never done that before. Yeah. Um, when, uh, when you get caught up in glassing, right? You're, you're on a you're on a ridge or whatever looking over a valley and you're, you're looking at the far side and you're you're looking probably a kilometer away kind of thing just cruising cruising the the entire bank and you forget to look like right close to you <laughs> and there's I did this and and it, I mean it wasn't it wasn't a a, a shootable it wasn't a, a legal um, animal to to take but it was just the fact that that the animal was probably forty yards from me, and I'm I'm sitting here looking at stuff way way far away, completely oblivious to what's actually right close to me, right? So, so I mean, it was it had no effect, but but it was uh, it's a bit of a wake up call to uh, to keep yourself um, aware so- of. So all that, of your surroundings. That would have been the dumbest thing if the, the, the thing that caught your eye was this big, huge rock and yeah. this thing spinning and yeah. going, running yeah. away at 40 yards. Big six-point mm-hmm. mule or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I think the dumbest thing I've ever done was that day that you and I were out. And it's just getting dark. And 
there's some some deer some whitetail that were just like they're down in the bottom yeah. we're kind of up on the ridge and they're just kind of like started poking away and i just something flashed back to me and i was like oh i remember like somewhere like if like cows or something like that like cow elk are like walking away if you throw like their warning call out there like sometimes they'll all stop they'll perk up you know maybe if there's a bull he'll like put his head up sort of thing and see these deer just kind of moving off I was like, well, maybe I'll just like give like the whitetail warning call and we'll just see like maybe they'll all stop the look. There could be a buck somewhere that we didn't see before. So it's like all quiet and I just do the like <laughs> tails <laughs> up, everything just gone. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Clear them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pull the fire alarm. I'm, I'm pretty sure I even went to Derek. I was like, "Oh, check this trick out! Like, we're gonna we're gonna get a good survey yeah. everything." And just like, <laughs> hey, wait, wait, wait a second. This is a real learning experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You watch, you watch this. They're all gonna put put their head up and look, and we'll tell which one's the buck. Yeah. So that's that's a that's a that's what you don't do, Derek. I'm just oh, showing okay, you what okay. you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, what's some advice you you guys would have? Say say some people are listening and they're like, hey, this kind of sounds fun and stuff. I've always wanted to go hunting and been thinking about it. And um, would be your advice? Just start. Like you gotta you gotta. That that's what took me so long was was going through the core. Um, I I'm not a great reader. I am so slow and I procrastinate every time I pick up the book. I'd put it down and then wouldn't wouldn't touch it for six months kind of thing it's like you just gotta you gotta focus because it's a, it's a big task to to be able to get to the stage where you can hunt but you just gotta start somewhere you gotta start and and start working your way up the steps and then uh then you can open that door once you get all your uh all your your stuff under your belt i guess cool yeah so just if you're thinking about it yeah. your first step is Get your hunter training, yeah, right? And that, just and that's, just and that, do it. And that's the other thing. It's like you might not have anybody that that hunts. Um, you might not even have any friends that hunt. But you're going to a hunter's course. You're going to a, a firearms course. You're going to meet people that hunt or that are going to hunt. So you can get get names, get numbers or whatever. Get a build a start building your. Uh, you know your your port not portfolio but your your contacts up so that you can um either call them up or go hunting with them or whatever yeah right? no so, that's good yeah. that's good advice yeah i think that kind of goes for anything like you just kind of get out there and throw yourself in the fray you're going to meet some people and yeah for sure and away you go oh, that's cool so just get out there and get started yeah if you don't get started you're never going to get there don't don't overthink mm -hmm. it do the first thing get your hunters training course done mm -hmm. cool uh what about you what advice um, do you have don't walk don't walk straight yeah, at don't. deer in the wide open <laughs> don't yeah it's okay to lose sight of them sometimes <laughs> <laughs> i would say uh patience you know something you gotta like learn and i don't get frustrated you know because i know like when i first started hunting like you go like how long without seeing anything and you're just like you're getting worked up and almost like mad about it right and but then you put in the time and it all pays off you know you'll see something like if i if i see stuff i'm always happy about it and have a little bit of action it's always fun but and also like always take advice and 
you know, you don't always have to follow that advice, or you can find what's good advice, find out what works, what doesn't, you know? <laughs> you know, some guy will tell you something, you'll be like, yeah, yeah, I don't know about that, but, uh, but yeah. if you're, if you're new, you might not know the difference, right? True. Yeah. True. Just go out there in the snow and rattle these two antlers together. Exactly. <laughs> you never, you never know. You never know what's gonna happen. That's one thing I've learned. It's so like, that's actually something my dad said. He's like, oh, you just gotta be out there. You'll never know what's gonna happen. And that's the thing. If you're not out there, you're definitely not gonna see anything. Oh so, man, it can go from the slowest yeah. day ever mm-hmm. to light switch. It just happens. It's like, like, yeah, yeah. That's what I always tell myself. Like, if I'm ever like, like. After after uh, get out of school or something, I'll be like, oh, I don't really feel like going out there. We're like, well, if you don't get out there, you're not going to see anything. Like, get out there, because you never know what's going to cross your path. Yeah, see something cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get discouraged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Don't get discouraged. Go out cool. there. Go out in the woods with the attitude that mm-hmm. if I see something, that's awesome. If I don't, I'm out in the woods. I'm out mm-hmm. doing something active. Um, just yep. having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good good advice. Cool. Well thanks guys for coming on the show. No problem. Great conversation. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. It's pretty fun. I'm sure your dad's up there in his fishing boat. Yeah. Listening down on us right now. I'm sure he is. Saying, yeah. see, I told you. <laughs> yeah. I told you that's why you needed to rattle his antlers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right on. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, hey, if you got any questions as a new hunter uh, reach out to us here at the hunterconservationist.com and uh, maybe we can carry on this conversation uh, afterwards through social media or uh, or by email send us your questions and we'll get these uh, two experts to answer them and remember yeah. don't walk straight at no. a deer in the wide <laughs> open no. it's don't. okay to lose sight of them it is there you go there's not. your best hunting tip of the day yeah. all right See you in the next episode, everybody.